Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Dr. Maria Albera Pusico, and we will be talking about her recent testimony at the Maryland House of Delegates regarding the End of Life Option Act, a bill that would allow physician-assisted suicide in Maryland. Dr. Busico was born on the island of Haiti and grew up in Brooklyn, New York. She is a board-certified internist and a fellow of the American College of Physicians. She's a full-time internist at Crossroads Medical Associates in Ellicott City, She is the past president of the Catholic Medical Association, which is the nation's largest association of Catholic physicians and healthcare professionals. She's also a member of the Basilica Parish. Welcome to the show, Dr. Busico. Thank you, Mr. Gonzi. It's a pleasure to be with you. First of all, we should note that you and I are talking in mid-February, but since this is not being broadcast until early March, things may change with the status of these bills in the House and Senate in the meantime. But can you explain to our listeners what the End of Life Option Act would allow in our state? This act would allow physicians to prescribe lethal medications to terminally ill patients who wish to commit suicide. And that's not a good thing? Absolutely not. In your testimony against the bill, you said it would fundamentally alter the physician's role in society. Why is that? Well, that's correct. You know, medicine remains um, probably the most noble of all professions. The patient-physician relationship is unique in that it is based on trust. And our patients must trust that a physician is always looking out for their best interest. And to allow a physician to do such a thing is such a gross ethical violation that it would fundamentally alter the the role of of the physician in society. Some of the people who are in favor of this bill say that this decision of whether or not to end a person's life should really be just a decision between the person and their doctor. But a part of this bill says it has to be a terminal diagnosis. How does a doctor really know that someone is going to die within six months or that their illness is absolutely uncurable? And that's correct. Many times our our predictions are incorrect. And so we don't have a crystal ball. We really cannot accurately predict when, when a person will die. When you talk about the elements of this bill, one of them is that a, a doctor it prescribes a, a huge amount of, uh, of pain medication. Is that medical care? Is that health care to provide somebody with so much drugs they can kill themselves? No, this is, this is not medical care. The drugs themselves, it's over 100 pills, principally cecobarbital and pentobarbital, which are traditionally used in the death penalty. Sounds pretty severe. Yes, it is. So what happens if someone decides not to take the pills or if they take some of the pills but they don't take all of them? And what happens to those drugs after that? 
Well, again, that, that was one of the points that I raised in my testimony because there are no safeguards against what happens if a patient decides not to take the medications. There's no safeguard there to avoid uh, children having access to those pills or maybe even a drug dealer with access to those pills. I also raised the issue about what happens if the attempt to commit suicide fails. Because not all suicide attempts are successful. You mentioned that children could get a hold of these, drug dealers could get a hold of these. These are the same kinds of pills, uh, medications that we're seeing in the opioid crisis. Is that correct? The access is the same. Yes, absolutely. It's great similarities, sure. What are some of the other flaws in this bill? I think one of the biggest issues here is when a person is contemplating uh, suicide, they're typically depressed. And so there's no real screening here for depression when one is contemplating physician-assisted suicide. Those patients are actually denied suicide prevention support. And today, we can manage depression very well. Uh, so that's a big concern. Another concern is pain when you're at the end of life. We have access, especially in the state of Maryland, to very good palliative care and hospice care, where the pain can be very uh, adequately or very well taken care of. So these are some of the flaws uh, that, that concern me. Also, we have no real way to determine whether a patient is being coerced to end their life. So that's yet another flaw in this, in this bill. Yeah, I think we've seen that there would be the possibility that, you know, grandma's not feeling well and right. the family wants grandma out of the way right. uh, because she's, you know, she's taking up resources in, in health care and, and that the right. fact that there could be coercion there is one of the scariest things, I think, in this Absolutely. whole thing. Absolutely. Yes. When you look at what a doctor is supposed to do for patients, you talk about the Hippocratic Oath. How does something like this violate that Hippocratic oath that you're not supposed to do any harm, you're not supposed to administer poison to people? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, back in the 5th to the 3rd centuries BC, physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia were actually common. And so Hippocrates had this prohibition in his oath which states that you should never, never to administer poison to anyone who'd ask for it, nor to suggest such a course. And this is a gross violation of the oath that many physicians take at the beginning of their careers. As a physician, if a patient came to you and said that they, they knew they were terminally ill, they had end-stage cancer, they had uh, any number of other problems, and they were concerned about the pain that might, they might experience in the next few months, they were experienced about the burden they might be on their family, how would you counsel that, that patient to help them understand that it's possible to live life fully and experience a little bit more time with their pain managed, with uh, depression managed. What would you say to a patient? Well, yes, I mean, I would remind them that, you know, life, it's a great good. It's, it's wonderful to be alive. Regrettably, suffering is part of our human condition. And so I would also remind the patient that there is a ripple effect to this type of thought because 
when one is contemplating suicide, it's not just the person who commits the suicide who's affected, but everyone around them is affected. 11 years ago, two of my patients committed suicide, and I was merely the physician, and I cannot tell you the guilt that I had to live with as a physician, because I often wondered, what did I miss? What did I fail to do? that might have prevented this. So if I felt this way, I can only imagine how their loved ones and their friends felt about this. So I would remind a patient of such a thing. I would also remind them that depression is often one of the reasons one considers such a thing and that we can adequately manage depression. So I would definitely uh, assist them in that way. Uh, Also, that we can manage pain very well with palliative care. And so again, I would help them remember that they do have access to palliative care if that's the concern. I remember that when my dad and my mom both were were on their, their deathbeds, we were able to surround them with prayer. I don't see that happening when somebody decides they're going to take 100 pills. How would that How would that affect that kind of thing? If this were to be passed as a law, the only requirement is that the patient be certified by two physicians in their desire to commit suicide. The patient is expected to take the pills on their own. So oftentimes there's really no one even present at the time of the suicide attempt. So And also the patient is not required, although they may be advised by the physician to let their families know that they're planning to do this. They are not required to share this with their family. So they're also cheating their family and loved ones out of that opportunity to be at their bedside. Sounds like a real mess of a bill, and I hope that it doesn't pass, as I imagine you are in that same in that same thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you much for spending time with us today. We've been talking with Dr. Marie Albert Busico about physician-assisted suicide and bills in the Maryland General Assembly that would allow it. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Anglican Archbishop Michael Jackson of Dublin said he was shocked after thieves broke into a church in the Irish capital, vandalizing the crypt and taking the head of an 800-year-old mummy known as the Crusader, according to a report in Catholic News Service. The crypt was damaged and several of the mummies, including the 400-year-old remains of a nun, were desecrated in the incident. The crusader's body was turned over and his head was removed. A spokesman said the discovery was made February 25th as a guide was preparing to open the church for visitors. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Americans have shifted toward a pro-life stance in recent weeks during a period when some states are considering legislation that would legalize abortion up until birth, according to a new poll. The Marist poll at Marist College, conducted in mid-February, found that equal numbers of Americans, 47%, identified themselves as pro-life and as those who support abortion, according to a report by Catholic News Service. The findings reflect a dramatic shift from a similar poll in early January that found respondents supporting abortion by 55% to 38%. 
The largest swing in responses came from self-identified Democrats and people younger than 45, poll officials said. The poll reported that among Democrats, the gap between people who identify as pro-life and those who support abortion was cut in half from 55% to 27%. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matasek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. There is always a flurry of activity during the General Assembly session in Annapolis, and 2019 is no exception. I'm Christopher Gunty, Associate Publisher and Editor of the Catholic Review. And with me on this segment of Catholic Baltimore is Emily Rosenthal, Staff Writer for the Catholic Review. Welcome, Emily. Thanks, Chris. So this 90-day session is both a marathon and a sprint. It's three months long, but a lot gets packed into that time. Sometimes it's hard to keep on top of things. So as we're putting together this broadcast, there are votes on key legislation that could come any time, including the End-of-Life Options Act, which would allow physician-assisted suicide in Maryland. We heard from Dr. Bosiku in the first segment of the show. She's a doctor who testified against the bill in a hearing at the Capitol. You've been covering this issue for us. What have you heard from your sources? Well, recently I heard from Jennifer Bremen, who is the executive director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and she was saying that now that the hearings have taken place, a vote could come on this bill at any time. As she was saying, this is really the time for Marylanders to contact their legislators and make their opinions on physician-assisted suicide known to them. Bremen also mentioned that Compassion and Choices, which is an organization that supports physician-assisted suicide, brought strong testimonies to the hearings. The same was true for those in opposition. Dr. Busico had a strong testimony, especially not only as a physician, but also as a practicing Catholic. 
It was especially moving to hear how she mentioned that a doctor's job is to do no harm. It's about saving lives and not taking them. This is not the only legislation that is in debate right now that focuses on the dignity of a life. Chris, you were recently in Annapolis covering a proposed fetal homicide bill. Can you explain what you've been hearing there? The proposed law is named for Laura Wallen and her unborn son, Reed. Both were killed in September 2017. Laura's boyfriend, Tyler Tessier, was charged with her murder, but he could not be charged with homicide in Reed's case because Maryland law currently requires that an unborn child be at least 24 weeks along before being afforded that protection. Lauren's father, Mark Wallen, spoke at a news conference February 21st to talk about his daughter and grandson. Laura Wallen was murdered because she was pregnant. Our daughter believed in the amazing potential of people and in each person's ability to have a positive impact on their community and the world. Intimate partner violence is the leading cause of death among pregnant women and in Maryland is 10 times higher than the national average. The proposed law protects a woman's right to choose to have a child and does not protect the intimate partner that chooses death for a pregnant woman over life. There were two heartbeats that ended when our daughter, who went to the field in Damascus thinking that she was going to be proposed to and instead was shot execution style in the back of the head and buried in a shallow grave. Laura Wallen was murdered because she was pregnant. Senator Justin Reedy of Carroll County said that this legislation essentially mirrors a law in California so that homicide of an unborn child as young as eight weeks gestation could be charged. He said this law would have no impact on medical or abortive procedures. Senator Mary Beth Carroza, a Republican from the Eastern Shore, said that fetal homicide is really a domestic violence issue. You all have heard Laura Wallen's story, her murder. What's presented today and the numbers that have been presented today should be alarming for all Marylanders to hear that Maryland pregnant women are at this risk. We need to take action. This should be supported by women's groups. It should be supported by those who advocate for victims. All you have to do is take a look at these numbers. And the fact that other states have moved forward, where Maryland takes so much pride in being progressive, this is one area that it's time for Maryland to step up with the rest of the states and protect Maryland's pregnant women. Physician-assisted suicide and fetal homicide were only two of the five issues that were the focus of Catholics in Annapolis February 21st. What were some of the other issues? Human trafficking, immigration, and additional funding for Boost scholarship program were the main topics. You know, more than 400 people came to the Capitol to be briefed by the Maryland Catholic Conference, and the attendees also got a chance to visit their legislators and discuss these issues. The people I spoke with said that their legislators, or their staff members in some cases, were very receptive and said they'd give their thoughts some consideration. I'm not sure exactly how much impact those visits had, but just a few days after Catholics in Annapolis, House of Delegates Speaker Michael Bush withdrew consideration for this term for the bill that would have authorized a referendum on enshrining abortion in the Maryland Constitution. Coincidence? Maybe. I don't know. But he is expected to reintroduce that bill next year. At a reception to close the day, Archbishop William E. Lorry thanked the record crowd for providing their input to the legislators. You are here from the Diocese of Wilmington. You are here from the Archdiocese of Washington. 
and from the Archdiocese of Baltimore to make a united witness before the General Assembly to the values that we hold near and dear, the values that we hold as citizens, as people of reason, as people of morality, and also as people of faith. Let's think about what our church does. We heard some very moving testimonies earlier in the afternoon. We heard beautiful testimonies about what the church does to educate the poor and the needy, about what it does to welcome those who come to us and to our country trying to make a better life for their loved ones. We heard moving testimony about the care of the church, the care that you provide for those who are vulnerable at every, every stage of life, from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death, and at every point in between. When you think about it, these are not just public policy positions. These are things we actually do as a church. We care for the unborn. We care for those who are sick. We care for those who are newly arrived and who are strangers in our midst. We care for young people whom we educate in such a wonderful way. We care for the elderly and the dying. Uh, these are things we do in an array of ministries across the church. Are we perfect? Are we all saints? By no means. Does our church suffer from the effects of sin and betrayal? Yes, it does. But in the midst of this, because of God's grace, we are able to do amazing things, amazing things in our state of Maryland and far, far beyond. You've come to Annapolis because you want to bear witness to our public officials, to the sanctity of life at every stage. You've come because you want to help our young people get a good faith-based education. You've come because you recognize that between Catholic charities in Washington, in Baltimore, and Wilmington, nobody provides more charitable and social services than we do. And you've come to bear witness to that and to much more. And you've gone around and you've, you, you've contacted legislators and their aides, and even if maybe they didn't seem persuaded, and even if maybe you didn't get in and you just saw those in the outer office, believe you me, what you did this afternoon has made an impact. And there will be many, many more chances before the session is over for you and for your friends and for your acquaintances to weigh in 
on the things that really, really matter. I wanted to be with you today to pray with you. I wanted to be with you just to thank you and to offer you my support and just to let you know that me and my brother bishops and priests will be working very hard alongside of you until the end of session, defending those things that really matter the most. Catholics in Annapolis was a, a pretty great event. Uh, what else do you see on the horizon, Emily? Well, one of the things we're still waiting for is uh, the approval of Governor Hogan's fiscal year 2020 budget, and that includes record funding for the Boost scholarships that you were mentioning earlier, which helps students attend non-public schools. And there are tons of bills that the Maryland Catholic Conference is following, um, so that's definitely something to keep watch on. Quite a bit going on before the session closes April 8th. We should tell listeners that they should connect with us at catholicreview.org to read the latest on all these developing legislation. Thanks for being with us, Emily. Thanks, Chris. This is Christopher Gunty and Emily Rosenthal of the Catholic Review. Thanks for listening to Catholic Baltimore. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.